Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today, I'm excited because I've got a friend with us today. Um, he has been with us, I believe this is, is this your third time or just second time? Third? Number three. And uh, every time he's here, he's such a blessing to, to me personally and to our church. Uh, Dr. Gerald Brooks leads Grace Outreach Center in Plano, Texas. It was a church that he founded and started and uh, has grown to be one of the most influential churches in our nation. And they're certainly making a big difference in North Texas. And uh, he, he leads pastors. He influences pastors all across the country uh, through his roundtables, through his leadership podcasts. And even this weekend, he spent some time with our leaders, a lot of our leaders on Saturday. Saturday morning here, just pouring into them, and we heard such good feedback, but uh, he has been a blessing to our church this weekend, and he has a number of resources that he may reference that are available in the lobby. He's got a bunch of books that he's written, and uh, they're available in the main lobby for sale. I would love for you to stop by there at the conclusion of our worship experience today and just check those out. His latest book uh, is a book about five prayers to pray for your children. It's back there. Uh, Take advantage of that. Find out more about his ministry at GeraldBrooksMinistries.com if you're interested, but, but he is a friend to me, to our church, and he is one of my pastors, and I'm so grateful for, for what he, uh, how he speaks into my life and how he helps me. So if you don't mind, please do me a favor, and let's give a very warm welcome to Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hey, guys. Um, most of you don't know me, and typically if you're the guest speaker at the intro, I'm supposed to say something cute and funny to sort of build a bridge so you'll be with me. But for me to do that, I'd have to take away from some time that I believe we could spend in some more valuable areas. Uh, one, I appreciate uh, Mel getting up here and being transparent about uh, being in the hospital last week and having the issue that he had with his heart. But I think we'd be remiss as a congregation if we didn't pray for him. And what I want us to do is I want us to pray a very specific verse. It's Psalm 73, 26. Here's what the verse says. The Lord is the strength of my heart, and it fails not. We want to pray that for him. Would you stretch your hands over towards Pastor? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, that you are a God who gives us so many promises. And, Lord, we're standing right now on Psalm 73, verse 26. We thank you that the Lord is the strength of his heart, and it fails not. So, Father, whatever needs to happen, we thank you so much for the diligence and the efforts of of doctors and their wisdom. But, Lord, we thank you that beyond that, you are the strength of this heart. We pray, Father, that it beats properly, it beats correctly, Lord. And because of that, Lord, he is filled with life. Father, he says it jokingly, Lord, that he's going to live a long life, but we set our faith with him that he lives to declare the glory of our God, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to pray for the rest of you. If there's anyone in this room that you've ever been diagnosed or treated for anything that's heart-related, I want to pray that verse over you, but what I need you to do is I need you to put your hand over your heart and let me pray for you. So if you're in this room and you've had anything like that, let me pray for you right now. Father, across this room, you know these people, and there are people who have their hand on their heart right now. And Lord, your promise for them is the same as uh, males, Lord. You are the strength of their heart, and their heart 
fails not. In the name of Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you're strengthening their heart, and whether it would be on the pumping side, the electrical side, Lord, we just believe that their hearts function perfectly, that they are alive with the health of God. The health of God, Lord, just floods their body. It drives out anything that could hinder their heart from functioning properly and correctly, Lord. But from this day forward, we just thank you that you are the strength of their hearts, and they do not fail in Jesus' name. And we all agree together saying, thank you so much for doing that. Hey, today I want to talk to you from Psalm 77. In Psalm 77 in verse 1, it starts with these words, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. Now, let me help some of you that are really students of Scripture. Whenever the Bible doubles down on a phrase, it's because God's trying to draw you into the emotion of the moment. God doesn't have to do that, but God has chosen to do that as he edited this thing we call the Bible. So this verse could have read, I cried unto God with my voice, and he heard me. But it doesn't say that. It says, he cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And so what you need to understand is God is signaling you, this isn't the average church prayer. You know, the average church prayer, God, just give us a good day today. Let this day just be filled with your love, your joy, your peace. Just fill it with your blessing. Well, that's a great prayer. It's sort of a standard prayer, but that's not this prayer. This is the prayer of desperation. God, right now, I need your help. If you don't show up, if you're not in this right now, God, we're not going to make it. Our back's against the wall. So this isn't that first prayer. This is that second prayer. And so when he talks and he says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he said, God heard him and gave ear to his prayer. How many of you are glad that when you pray, God listens to you? Isn't that a good thing? Well, for you to understand the magnitude of what's going on in Psalm 77, you have to understand who wrote this psalm. See, the majority of all psalms were written by King David. But there's a few psalms that were written by Moses. But there's even a few more that were written by a man named Asaph. And Asaph wrote this psalm. Now, most of you wouldn't have a clue who Asaph was, but he would be famous in Israel. He would be one of those individuals that everyone in Israel would know. Because in Israel, the main place of worship was the temple. The main thing they worshiped around was the Ark of the Covenant. When the Ark of the Covenant came back to Israel, here's what happened. David set out on a search to find people who were the best worshipers in all the land. So let me translate it into our language. Just imagine the show, The Voice. You know how it is where they've gotten talent from all over and they're trying to find the best voice? Except imagine if you put out a casting call and you said, we want to find the people who are the very, very best worshipers in all of Israel. And imagine that they went through every individual, every voice out there, and it came down to three individuals. Three individuals that will lead worship around the Ark of the Covenant. Three people that were chosen to be the best of the best, who had the best heart, the best ability, and Asaph was one of it. So in their days, if you would have had a favorites channel, 
Asaph would have been on it. His songs would have been the tunes of the day. They would have been the ones that everyone would be humming and singing after they left the temple. But the thing you've got to understand is that Asaph was in a very specific place. He worshipped before the Ark of the Covenant. Now, most of you don't have a whole lot of knowledge of the Ark of the Covenant because you haven't read the book, but you have seen the movie. You've seen the movie, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many of you have ever seen that movie? Would you raise your hand if you've seen it? Well, you didn't know you were going to Bible school, but you went to Bible school when you watched that movie. So I'm going to take you a little bit back. Remember that closing scene? You know, Indiana Jones has been on this quest to find the Ark of the Covenant. The Nazis are trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. They want to find it because they believe that there's immense power. They want to capture that power and use it for their agenda. Indiana Jones has found it, lost it, found it, lost it. And now at the very last scene, uh, you have the Nazis who have the Ark of the Covenant. They're standing there around it. Indiana Jones is a little distant away and he's tied to a tree with this beautiful girl. And I just want to say to you, if you're ever tied to a tree, be tied to a tree with a beautiful girl. I think that's just the way it should go and the way it should happen. But that being said, he's sitting there and he's tied and in this whole movie they're trying to find out what's inside the ark of the covenant now if they would have read the bible they would have known three things were in the ark of the covenant and the bible tells you the first thing was the two tablets of stone remember moses had gone up to mount sinai god had spoken to him he had literally carved out the ten commandments he came down the first time and he heard and he thought there was a war going on but it wasn't a war israel was having the largest frat party that ever existed on the planet uh, moses sees this he's upset by it he throws down the first two tablets the earth begins to open people begin to get sucked in now that's a church service I want to go to. I want to be in that church service where the op- it opens up and people are being sucked in. That's those old Holy Ghost ones right there. So that being said, uh, he then has to go back up. God gives him a second set of tablets. Well, in the Ark of the Covenant, the second set of tablets was put in. Also was Aaron, who was Moses' brother, rod that budded. Now, Aaron had walked around with this stick. You can call it a cane, a staff, or whatever. But he had walked around with this stick forever. Then one day, God said, I want to restore worship back to Israel, and I want there to be a priesthood. Well, there was debate. Everyone was saying, well, this person, that person. And God said, I'll show you who it is. And all of a sudden, this stick, this dead piece of wood, starts blossoming. It starts growing. It's not in the ground. It just starts growing again and blossoming. Well, in the Ark of the Covenant, that was put. Another thing that was put was that when Israel was in the wilderness, they needed some food, and God began to feed them with a thing called manna. And manna was put in. Just a little pot of manna was put in. Now, manna literally says, in the Hebrew means, what is it? Because no one knew what it is. In Texas, we know what it is. It's Chick-fil-A. So it was probably about six nuggets that were put together with, you know, special sauces and everything was put in there. And, and so those three things were in there. 
Now, you got to understand why those three things were put in there. See, the Ark of the Covenant was a box that was about a foot and a half this way, and it was about three foot long, and it was about a foot and a half this way, and it was a box that was made of wood overlaid of gold. But in the Old Testament, it was an illustration and a symbol of Jesus. See, the wood spoke of the humanity of Jesus. God became flesh. The gold spoke of the deity of Jesus. He was God becoming flesh. But inside, these three things were put there, and the reason that three things were put there was because they all spoke of things God did for Israel that Israel rejected. They rejected the Ten Commandments. God said, these are my ways, and you know what? They said, we don't like your ways. We don't like living under your rules. So they rejected the Ten Commandments. When God created the priesthood, they rejected the priesthood and said, we're not going to worship that way. You know what? I'm just going to worship the way I want to worship. And then the manna, no matter how much God provided, they finally said, we don't like man anymore. We want something else. So they rejected the ways of God, the worship of God, and the provision of God. Aren't you glad we're so much more mature than Israel was? Aren't you glad that there's no one that you know that would ever reject the ways of God, the worship of God, or the provision of God? That there's no one out there that say, hey, I don't like the way God has us doing this, or I don't like worshiping this way, or I don't like what God provided this. He could have done this. But all of those spoke of things that God did that Israel rejected. But remember that last scene? He's tied to the tree with the pretty girl, and then you have the Nazis, and they're about to lift the lid? Well, they wanted to see what happens, and they wanted to know what happens when you lift the lid. If they would have read the Bible, they would have known. One day, someone lifted the lid, and 38,000 people died. Now, why is that? In fact, many people believe that that term, opening Pandora's box, goes all the way back to the day when someone lifted that lid open. The reason that that happened was on top of that lid were two angels. But these angels were different than any other angels. Angels that were created by man always look up. These angels were looking down. Angels look up and worship but these were looking down. Why? Because these angels were looking at a spot on top of the Ark of the Covenant that once a year the priest would come in and he would put the blood of a lamb. Why? The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of Jesus bearing the sin of the world. The things that Israel rejected, they represented my sin, your sin, and it was showing that Jesus would come and bear the sin of the world. But here's the thing. When you lift the lid off, God's no longer seeing sin through the blood. He's now seeing sin without a sacrifice. And what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. And the Greek, it says, sin pays well, it kills. So if there's no sacrifice, a just God says, hey, I've got to judge sin. 38,000 people died. But here's the thing. That was all a movie. But Asaph led worship 
before the symbol in the Old Testament of Jesus coming in the flesh, bearing the sins of the world. Every day, he just led worship. Oh God, you're such a good God. You're such a great God. You're such a magnificent God. Every day, 24-7, three men would organize the worship around this Ark of the Covenant. Now, I say that to you because Asaph is the one who said, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he heard me in the day of trouble. Now, if the Bible would have stopped there, that would be a perfect verse. Here's a guy who leads before the Ark of the Covenant. He prays, God hears him in the day of trouble. But you know what's interesting? It doesn't stop there. And it says, in the day of trouble, my sore ran into the night. Here's a guy who is leading worship. He prays, God hears him. But his problem keeps getting worse. Now, I know we're in church, and church is a hard place for people to be honest. But let me ask you this. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer, and after you prayed the prayer, the problem kept getting worse? Anyone besides me? Where you prayed, and all of a sudden, the problem just kept getting worse. It didn't get any better. And you're thinking, man, I thought I did everything. And see, here's what we have in our mind. Well, God would honor Mel's prayer because you know what? Mel just gets to be in the Bible all day. He gets to be around Christians all day. Well, Mel, he gets to worship God all day. He doesn't have to do. He doesn't have to go work a real job. He doesn't have to go hang around with people who aren't Christians. He doesn't have to. If God's going to answer anyone's prayer, it's going to be Mel's because he's in the perfect place doing the perfect thing and he gets his prayers answered. It's like the fast pass to prayer. But Asaph had the perfect job in the perfect place doing the perfect thing. And he prayed. God heard him and his prayer was heard, yet his problem got worse. So why is it that we can pray and we can pray to God God will hear our prayer, and the problem keeps getting worse. Why does that happen? Why in the world? Now, for me, this is one of the proofs that the Bible is true. Because if you were writing a book just to convince people, hey, buy into something, you would never put the negative in there. You would have just said, this guy prayed, God answered his prayer. You wouldn't say that his prayer after he prayed, things got worse. So he says, in the day of prayer, in the day of trouble, when he prayed, his problem went into the night. Now, I say that to you because of this. It's where people live. I pastor people. I'm with people on their best day. I'm with people on their worst day. I'm with people when they feel like they're on top of the mountain, and I'm with people when they feel like the mountain's on top of them. I pastor people. I have people that will walk into my service on any given weekend, and they're sitting there and saying, but I prayed, I prayed, God heard me. Why is it that things keep getting worse? And I have people that will sit there, and they will come to a church service just like this, but it'll be in the Dallas area, and they'll say, I just don't get it. But what it says in there 
is it says, my sore ran into the night because my soul refused to be comforted. Now, he says, my soul refused to be comforted. Now, you've got to understand you're a unique part of creation. You're the only part of creation that has three dimensions to you. See that dog that you love that waits at home and it's all excited when you show up and just looks at you with those loving, adorable eyes? That dog just has two dimensions. It has a physical body and it has a soul. But you're unique. You have three parts. Cats just have one part. They just have a body. But here it is. His soul refused to be comforted. See, you're unique because you have a spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. May the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Spirit, soul, and body. John chapter 4 verse 24 describes God. And it says that God is a spirit. You're the only part of creation that can relate to God, that can have a relationship with God. And what that means is simply this. You were created to know him. Nothing will ever satisfy, nothing will ever fulfill you knowing God. No amount of success, no amount of achievement. But that's the spirit part of you. But then you have a soul. And your soul consists of three things, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So this guy says, I've prayed. He's the guy that you think would always get his prayers answered because he's praying in the perfect place before the Ark of the Covenant, the holiest thing in the Old Testament, and he's praying. God hears his prayer, but his problem gets worse because his soul refused to be comforted. Now, here's the thing. The reason his prayer was a struggle was because when he prayed, his soul, let me put it in these terms. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer, but after you prayed that prayer, your mind tried to figure out how to make it happen? That is your soul refusing to be comforted. See, you've prayed and you said, I want to give it to God, but your mind won't let go of it. Your mind just holds on to it. Your mind just keeps working the problem, working the problem, working the problem. Well, maybe if I do this, well, maybe we should try this. Well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do this. Your mind won't let go of it. Your soul is refusing to be comforted. Even though you've prayed with your heart, your mind won't let go of it. Your mind's trying to fix it. And every week I have people show up in my church that have prayed prayers with their heart that God has heard, but their mind is just trying to work it. It's trying to figure it out. It's trying to get it. It's trying to say, okay, well, we could do this. Well, what about this? We could handle it this way. His mind won't let go of it. So with one hand, he's reaching out with God, but the other hand, he's holding on to the problem. He will not let go go of it. So what happens is even though God hears him, his problem never gets resolved. I'm going to build a bridge. Let's just assume right now that in this congregation, everyone in here owns a car. 
But you're driving that car one day, and when you drive that car, what happens is, is that you can sense that there's a noise, that something's not working. You're a little bit concerned that as that noise begins to happen, that maybe what's going to happen there is this. It's going to break down. So you go to church, and you run into Pastor Mel, and you say, Mel, do you, do you know a, a good Christian mechanic? And he says, yeah. And they ask for the number. You get the number. And so you think, here we are. And this is what happens. On Monday, you call, and you say, hey, my name's such and such. I got your number from Pastor Mel. He said that you're a great mechanic. I have this car. It's doing this. Can you fix it? And they say, yes, I can. And then you say, thank you, and you hang up. And then on Tuesday, you call again, and you say, I have a car. It has this problem. Can you fix it? And they said, yes, we can. You say, thank you, and you hang up. Wednesday, you call again, and you say, I've got a car that has this problem. Can you fix it? They said, yes, we can. You say, thank you, and you hang up. Thursday, you call again, and you say, I've got this problem, and I heard you're a good mechanic. Can you fix it? And they say, yes, we can. And you say, thank you, and hang up. Friday, you do the same thing and then you wait till Monday and you call again by now they've recognized your voice and so you call and you say hey I've got a car it has this problem can you fix it and you say thank you and you hang up by Tuesday they're listening and they say before you can say anything we know you've got a car we know it's got this problem we can fix it but you've got to bring it in and you've got to leave it with us Calling a mechanic isn't enough if you don't take the car in. And every week, I have people in my church that want to call the mechanic. They want to say, hey, God, my car's not working. It's got a problem. And then they say, thank you, and they hang up. They call again, thank you, and they hang up. And they call again and say, thank you, and they hang up. But they never bring the car in and leave it with the mechanic. And people say, I don't know why God's not answering my prayers. Because you don't leave it with the mechanic. You've got to be able to take it in and leave. See, I thought when I went into ministry, my job was to convince you to believe. Well, if you would just believe, and then people would come and say, well, my prayers aren't being answered, and I'd teach them to believe a little bit better. And then they'd come back and say, my prayers are And I would teach them, well, these are the things that you've got to do to believe. And do you know what I found? I found that most people who come to church don't have a believing problem. They believe that there's a God. They believe that God can fix the things that they're faced with. I found that they didn't have a believing problem. I found that they had a letting go problem. They just couldn't let go. And so there are ladies in this church. You've prayed about your husband. You've prayed about your husband. You've prayed about your husband. You walk into the place and Pastor Mel looks at you and says, do you have any prayer requests? And you're thinking, yeah, I brought them. I'm seated right next to my prayer request. You know, I've been praying for this guy forever. He's no different. He's no better. But here's the thing. It's not having a prayer request. 
It's not asking God if he can fix your husband. What it is doing is acknowledging that you've got to leave things in God's hands. Because if they're not in God's hands, he can't fix it. So are you in a place that when you pray, you will mentally let go of it? I mean, some of you, you've prayed for your kids and you've prayed for your kids and you've prayed and you've thought, why isn't anything getting better? And it's because you keep trying to fix them. And you try to fix your kids so much. And and let's just be honest. If talking to your kids was going to fix them, some of your kids would be the most perfect kids that have ever existed. Because you've told them, you've talked to them, you've retold them, you've retalked to them, you've told them again, and you've retalked to them, and nothing ever changed. He mentioned one of my books, Five Prayers You Pray for Your Kids. You know what I've learned about kids? Talk less, pray more. Just talk less and pray more. Well, I don't know what else I can say. Just leave the saying to God right now. But here it is. You've got to be able, when you pray, to have your mind let go of the problem. In Psalm 55, in in verse 20, it says this. It says, commit your way unto the Lord and he will sustain you. That word commit is the same word in the Hebrew that is used for trust. The interesting thing is, if you look the word trust up in the Hebrew, it's not a word you spell, it's an action. And what it refers to is someone picking something up and throwing it down. They pick it up and they throw it down. They pick it up and they throw it down. Commit, trust, throw it down. The best illustration you could get is if you've ever been going through the channels on your TV and they have the old wrestling kind of things and somebody has picked up somebody over their head and they're going to throw them down and then they're going to lay on top of them and get the count of three. Well, the throwing down part is what trust is. It means to pick up something and throw it down and say, I'm not taking it back. But imagine... That someone, for years, has just carried their husband. Well, you know, I'm just praying for my husband. He's just not right with God. I'm just praying he'll get right. And they pray, and they walk up to Mel. You know, I'm praying for my husband, and Mel's just looking. Well, he's over your head. Yeah, he's just right there. And Well, I'm praying for my husband. He never gets any better. He never gets any better. And, you know, I'm just so tired. Wouldn't you be tired of carrying someone? Some of you have got the most amazing strength. You've carried that person over your head forever. You carried them, and we're all sitting there saying, how long can they carry that person? How long can they keep that person? Why don't they just let go? There has to be a place where you throw them down, and you say, God, I'm not taking this man back until you fix him. Can you put things at Jesus' feet? Can you pick them up, and can you put them at Jesus' feet. What's interesting is, is he says, my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. 
This guy is leading worship before the artifact that represents Jesus in the Old Testament. And now, every time he thinks about God, it bothers him. See, I pastor people. People who come to church, well, I prayed and I prayed. And then if you pray and you don't leave things with God and you're not seeing any change, here's what happens. You know what? I've prayed and, and I'm not sure that prayer thing's working. I'm not sure that God thinks true. I'm not sure that God really loves me, cares about me because none of my prayers have really showed up the way I've wanted them to. How does someone who believes in God get troubled by God? Because if you keep holding on to the problem, you'll think God doesn't care about you, that God doesn't love you, and you will begin to get troubled everything. Now, here's it. I realize we're in church on Sunday morning, and I realize most of you have never learned the art of saying amen. But I'm telling you, there are people out there that no longer serve God, and it wasn't because they had a God problem. It's because they had a letting go problem. And then they started hanging around and they said, I just don't believe anymore. And they were troubled. And he says, I remembered God and I was troubled. And notice what it says. And my spirit, remember you're a unique part of creation. Spirit, soul, and body. It all started not because you didn't believe. It started because your soul wouldn't let go. And it says, I remembered God and was troubled. And my spirit was overwhelmed. On the inside, if your mind doesn't let go of things and give them to God, eventually you'll start getting frustrated with God. And all of a sudden you'll think, I'm not sure I can do this believing thing anymore. Because your spirit will become overwhelmed. And the interesting thing is there's people right now, you're at that place in your life. But more than that, there are people sitting here, you know people who used to believe in God, who no longer say they believe in God because they didn't know that their soul wouldn't let go of things. But it goes on, and my spirit was overwhelmed and I complained. You know what the biggest example that you know if you prayed and you let go is if after you prayed, you don't complain about it anymore. If you're complaining about what you've prayed about, you've never let go of it. Complaining is always the sign that you're not giving it. How many of you know people who said, well, I've prayed and I prayed, but when you listen to them, they're complaining about the same thing they've prayed about. Anyone besides me know anyone like that? Too close to home for some of you. You can't raise your hand. You're that person. And so in the midst of that, they get overwhelmed. First church that I pastored was a church in West Texas. And one of the things about West Texas I love was these old farmers because they were the best storytellers. They told stories like nobody else. One of the farmers one day was telling a story. He said, you know what, there's a young lady. She grew up on the farms out here, but she didn't like the farm life. She 
had the lure of the, you know, the, the city life. And so she got old enough and, and she went to school. And so she went off to the city and she got her degree. And then she found this young guy and she married him and then they had some kids. She had stayed away from the farm because she just didn't like it. But finally, her kids got her about school age. And when they got about school age, she thought, well, my kids have never seen where I was born, where I was raised. So I'm going to drive out there and take them to the farm. Well, her mama was just delighted because the mom had always gone to the city to see her kids, her grandkids. And so she was excited. These kids are coming out here. They got all their cousins together so that they would be there when they arrived. And so they pull into the, to the farm, and the farm is just like pretty well every farm I've ever been to in West Texas. It has the house out front, and then there's, you know, some land with not a whole lot on it. Then there's a barn, and then there's usually a fenced area where they put their horse or their cows, and they have them. And then in between the house and the barn, there might be chickens and things like that that'll be running around. Well, these kids had never been any place like that. They're seeing horses and they're seeing cows. They're seeing the chickens and all these kind of things and they're just excited. So mama just says, why don't you guys stay out here and you just play with your cousins? Well, she starts talking to her mom and when she talks to her mom, she starts noticing it's pretty quiet out there. Well, because it's pretty quiet out there, you know, she thinks, well, that's good. They're not in trouble. But then it's also the kind of quiet, well, it's too quiet out there. And so she starts looking out the door and she sees her kids with two little animals and they're just petting these two little animals. And she didn't think. She turns to step towards her mom and return to their conversation and then it hits her. Something doesn't look right. And she turns and looks again. Well, her two kids had found two baby skunks and they're holding them and they're petting these baby skunks. She just thinks to herself, my goodness, you know, what am I going to do because she wants to get the skunks away from her kids, the kids away from her skunks, and she's trying to think, well, if I go out there, that could startle the skunks. That's not going to be a good thing. And she didn't know what to do, so she just reverted to mama, and she hollered out, hey, kids, hurry, get up and run. And so the kids picked up the skunks and took off. Here's the thing. Every week, I watch people come to church, reach out to God. Then at the end of the service, they pick up their skunks and they go home. And what God plans is that you put your problems at his feet and don't pick them up again. Most people don't have a believing problem. They have a letting go problem. Is there anything today maybe you need to let go of? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that in this room, that if there's anyone that's holding on to something they need to let go of, if, Lord, their soul's refusing to be comforted, that today would be the day that, Father, they would come to terms with it. Lord, I know some people struggle with their marriage, but if there's something they need to let go of, let it be the day. Some people are worried about their job. Lord, let it be today that they let go. Today, Lord, we want to put things at your feet. We do not want to hold on to things that we need to let go of. So today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help people not just to come and believe in you. Help people to learn to let go of things that they've held on to 
for too long. In Jesus' name. Before we go any further, I want to tell you a story. I've mentioned that I've pastored for 43 years. Jenny and I, my wife, who I've been privileged to be married to for 43 years, we were vacationing in San Diego. When we were at San Diego, we just loved being out there. But I felt in my heart we needed to get back to Plano, where we live, and get back there early. So I said, sweetheart, I said, I just think we need to get back, so can we cut um, the vacation short? We land in Dallas, we get in our car, we're heading towards our home, and I call a man named David. And I said, David, I just had you on my heart, is everything all right? Well, David's wife, Karen, had stage four colon cancer. And he said, Pastor, you know, I knew you were on vacation, I didn't want to call you, but I just don't think Karen's gonna make it much longer. And I said, David, I'll get there. So I drove over to the hospital and I got there in time that I could hold David's hand. And I held Karen's hand when she took her last breath here and she went to heaven. There's always a few things and every state's different, but there's a few things you have to do when someone passes away. And so David and I took care of those couple of things. We're still at the hospital. And David looks at me in tears and he just says, Pastor, I can't do this. I can't do it. Now, I thought he was talking about the funeral. I said, David, don't worry about it. I've done it so many times. I'll take care of everything. He said, Pastor, I'm not talking about the funeral. He says, I'm talking about the family. See, David and Karen had five kids under the age of 17. And he just looked at me, he said, I I don't know what to do. Karen was the glue. She was the one that held us together. She's the one that got the kids and got us back and forth and knew everything. I don't know how to be a dad to five kids and be a mom at the same time. And I looked at him and I said, David, you have a 45-minute drive to work every day. I said, do me a favor because he was a Christian, but he was also filled with the Spirit. And he had a heavenly prayer language. I said, don't turn on the radio. Just pray 45 minutes there and 45 minutes back. I said, God said that he will give you the perfect words to pray. Because I don't know what you've got to do, but I know God knows what you've got to do. Now jump ahead to one year later. I'm standing in the back of our foyer at our church. David comes by. And he says, Pastor, do you know what today is? And I said, yeah, David. It's the anniversary of when Karen went home to be with Jesus. And I said, I know you miss her, and I miss her too. And he looks at me, he says, do you remember what you told me? And I recounted just what I told you. And he said, he said, Pastor, I've done that for a year. And he said, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but somehow God has kept our family together. Somehow God has taken care of the kids. Somehow God has taken care of me. I would have never believed it. But somehow God did it. But every day he was praying a perfect prayer. I say that to you because the times in which we live right now, they demand more of us than most of us have to give. And there's three things you have to have. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. 
And it has to be more than just a Sunday morning thing. You've got to be close to Jesus. And you've got to have the Holy Spirit in your life to help you. So today, I'm just curious, how are you doing with those three? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Today, I just want to ask, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know that if you were to close your eyes and take your last breath, that when you close your eyes, you'd open your eyes in heaven like Karen did. If you don't know that, the Bible says these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. But let's say that you can say, yeah, I know I believe in Jesus as my Lord. Then second question, are you close to him? See, Jesus doesn't come into your life to be a part of your life. Jesus comes into your life to be the center of your life. And if he's not the center, today's the day. But a third question, if you know that you're close to him, and you know that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven, have you ever been filled with the Spirit? If you haven't, you need everything that God has for you to manage today. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking around, In any one of those three areas, you know I'm talking to you. I'd like to pray with you. If you'd like to be a part of that prayer, if you just raise your hand right now. Any one of those three areas. I see that hand. 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 Right now, the only people looking at me are the ones that raised your hand, if you'll look at me. Jesus just loves you so much. You've taken a step by raising your hand. You're going to take another step by praying a prayer. Now, that prayer is not magical words, but according to Ephesians 2.8, God's going to give you faith, and that faith's going to change your life. And right now, we're going to pray that prayer, but everyone in here is going to pray that prayer because church isn't a spectator sport. We're either receiving from God or helping someone else. So everyone repeat after me. Heavenly Father, you said in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that I would be saved. Today I'm doing that. I believe with all my heart that you are my Lord. Therefore, I thank you for saving me and changing my life forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what's going to happen is that if you prayed that prayer for the first time or that kind of prayer for the first time, that's the greatest of all miracles if you raised your hand. If you're already a Christian, you didn't get saved again. You just refocused your faith. But Pastor Mel's going to come up here and he's going to talk to you about what's next, what you need to do next. And for those of you that raised your hand to be filled with the Spirit like David was, he's going to tell you what to do next so you can receive prayer in that manner. Mel, I'm so proud of you, so proud of Kim. They don't get to see thousands of churches. I do. You're doing an exceptional job, and I'm so proud of you for all that you're doing. Thank you.
for the privilege to be here. Can we give Dr. Brooks a round of applause? Thank you, sir. I love you. You know, if you prayed that prayer with us today and you prayed to make Jesus Lord of your life, uh, we want to help you take the next step. And if you're here in the room or you're watching online, either one, the simplest thing to do would be to simply text the word different to the number 94,000. And if you'll do that, we're going to respond back to you and we're going to re get resources to you and we're going to help you take the next step. If you're here in the room and you'd prefer, you can fill out a card and the card in the seat back in front of you just says salvation. If you'll fill that out and then just drop it off at one of our tables as you're exiting today and let them know they're going to give you a Bible today and we're going to get you some resources. So thank you. If, if you're here today and and you want to respond for that empowerment that Pastor Gerald was talking about, the, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit moving and working in your life, um, we want to pray with you about that. And in just a moment, uh, I'll pray, and I'll have our prayer team and some of our staff are going to come up, and they're going to be here at the front of the room, and they're going to be available as we dismiss in just a moment. And you can come forward for any prayer need, but, but especially if you say, man, I need help navigating the world we live in. I can't do it on my own. I need the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Come let us pray with you about that. Because um, I don't know how we live in the world we live in without the Holy Spirit empowering us every single day. So, so let us pray with you about that. Um, because at the end of the day, guys, God has not just called us to survive this world, but he's called us to thrive. And one of the ways we thrive is by letting go of whatever we've brought into this place and letting God do the work in our life that he wants to do. So uh, thank you again, Pastor Gerald. And I just want to say um, what, what an honor it is for us to be able to journey with you and walk with you. I'm not going to give him the mic back because he'll make fun of me for tearing up over him. But I do love you, sir. Appreciate you. Um, I'm going to pray as we close out our service. And uh, as I do, our prayer team's going to join us here at the front of the room. So let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good to us. God, I pray that as we walk out of this place today, Lord, we would walk out of here burden-free. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here resolved never, ever, ever to pick up our burdens again, that we would trust you wholly and fully with them, and that, God, you would free us, that you would liberate us to live the life that you've dreamed for us to live because we are laying these things down and we're resolved to never pick them up again. God, I pray that we would see you work in miraculous ways. I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that we would be transformed, not just so we can be better, not just so we can be nicer or more moral or go to heaven even, but Lord, transform us so that we can see the world transformed as well. So God, I pray that, uh, that you would just empower us, move in us. I pray for those that are here that have never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd give them confidence and boldness to pray for that and receive it and that they would see their lives transformed as well. God, have your way among us as we leave here today. Be glorified in and through us. And I pray that your kingdom would expand because of it. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week.